regardless of the circumstances, God never changes. Thank you, Brother Nolan. For time's sake, I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 9. And while you're turning there, I want to, I want to turn to the book of Second Timothy and just mention a few things. Second Timothy, chapter 3, verse number 1. These are very familiar verses, I think, to most of us, where Paul said, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous means difficult and dangerous. And notice he's speaking about in the last days, as this age draws closer and closer to the end, And then beginning in verse 2, all the way down through verse number 12, Paul describes these days, and let me tell you, it is not a pretty picture. He talks about men being lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. It goes on, verse 4, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, And he just keeps going on and on and on. And it's obvious when we read this, that he's talking about a time when Christians no longer having an impact on the culture. And the reason is stated in verse number 13. And being deceived. Problems again? Is that... Oh, you got it? Okay. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Our nation, you might say the entire world, is in this rotten condition because of the fact that people have trusted in deceptive words. In other words, we have believed a a lie instead of the truth. And when we think about our nation, the only hope we have is to return to the truth. And that's exactly what Paul told Timothy to do when you look on down in verse number 14 through verse number 17, where he tells Timothy, he says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and speaks about the fact that from a child that he had known the holy scriptures that are able to make us wise unto salvation. And he speaks about the fact that the scriptures is given by inspiration of God and how that it is profitable. But that is another message, but that is also a part of the solution that we turn to the Word of God and rely upon the truth of God's Word. And uh, to put it another way, our only hope of help in America is to know God. Now, with all of that being said, I want to go back to the book of Jeremiah. And here in chapter number 9, I'll read our text in just a little bit. 
Something happened recently that caused me to wonder how many times in my life have I said, unbelievable. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. And, and, And I'm sure it numbers in the thousands because over and over again I hear or I observe things that that are shocking. And when I do, I express myself in that manner. You know, you you've got to be kidding me. There's some things that are just so outlandish that you cannot help but be amazed. And, you know, I know we all say, well, you know, I shouldn't be surprised, but we are. And after a while, because of all of the disappointments in life, after a while, we start believing that we cannot trust anyone and uh, while in some situations that can be a that can be a dangerous attitude in other situations it can be a great safeguard in our life because here is the fact of the matter if your mind can imagine something there is somebody who will do it Think about that. If you can imagine it, somebody will do it, regardless of how bad it is. In fact, some people will do things that you have never even imagined, and there seems to be no limit to what awful things that fallen man uh, will do. You know, whenever we put our trust in man... Man that is liable to fall, man that is liable to fail, then we have misplaced our trust. And uh, sometimes even those that we might deem trustworthy and those that we trust in a measure that we have to set even limits on that. I, I've got to stop here a minute, and I really hate to do this, but I, I, I'm, uh, I'm moving or something, and when I do, it's like I'm going in and out. Uh, is it? Okay. All right. Well, I, I apologize of all times uh, anyway. Look at verse number 4. I'll try to get on track and stay on track. The devil likes nothing more than to to get our mind on something else at a moment like this. Verse 4, Jeremiah said, Take ye heed every one to his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk, with slanders. Now let me explain that situation. As Jeremiah considers the condition of his people, he is heartbroken. We know him as the weeping prophet, and for good reason, because even as he ministered to them, it was with tears in his eyes. He is heartbroken when he sees what has happened to his people. He's filled with grief. He is longing for relief. God has sent him to denounce their sins and to warn them of judgment. And loving the people as he did, that took a toll on the prophet. Although, you know, he knew that it would be wrong to abandon his post, to neglect his duty, 
as you'll see in a little bit, he longed to just get away from it all. The best way I know how to describe it is to think about Lot, where the Bible says that Lot vexed his righteous soul every day because of the wickedness that was around him. Although Lot knew the Lord, Lot was miserable because he was living in the midst of all of this sinfulness, and their wickedness wearied him, and that's what's going on with Jeremiah. And I suspect that from time to time we all feel that way because our trials get to be more than what we feel like that we can bear and we get to thinking, you know, I, I just, I'd like to move to the country. I just want to get out in the country away from this big city life, all of the noise, all of the traffic, all of the danger, all of the crime, all of the drugs. I want to get out in the middle of nowhere, you know, build me a big, uh, big fence. Uh, I don't care if I live in a shack, but, you know, have a big old fence about 12 feet high with barbed wire around the top and have some guard dogs on the inside where you can just lock yourself in and isolate yourself from all of this nonsensical stuff that's going on in the world today. Or maybe you picture a placid lake and you're sitting down there in the front porch of a little log cabin and you've got your feet propped up, you know, you're sitting there in the rocking chair and you're just whittling on a stick and watching the day go by and enjoying the world and there's nothing to worry about and and, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that ever thinks that way. <laughs> you know. yeah. But Jeremiah has just, you, you know, look, it, it's not that he's weary of the work. He's weary in the work. And his heart is broken. These are the people that he loves. And he seems sees them sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into sin and he knows judgment is coming, and it's just like, I just want to get away. And yet, there's something within him that knows that we are never excused from our duty, regardless of how difficult or dangerous it is. Now, I want you to notice four things about this situation. The first thing is that he pointed out the problem. And I'm going to try to sum this up as much as I can. The root of the problem was sin. Uh, that was the reason for the nation's rotten condition. But notice in verse 2 and 3, the reason, notice the reason for the condition is sin but notice he takes it a step further than that. It would have been easy for him to stand up before the people and say, you're all just a bunch of sinners and God's going to judge you for it. You know, it's pretty easy to preach about sin in that way. But when it comes to naming the sin, that's a whole different ball game. So here we see the revelation of the problem. Notice what he says in verse number 2. He said, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. That's what we've been talking about. Why would he want to get away from them? Well, listen, for they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongues uh, uh, like their bow for lies 
And notice he says, But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil. Notice that as he reveals what their sins are, and by the way, you read in the entirety of the chapter, and he talks about things like murder, adultery, and treachery, and lying, and cowardice, betrayal, and backbiting, and slander, and deceit. I mean, he's getting down to the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road and telling it like it is. He's naming the sins that he sees among the people. By the way, that's the last thing most people want to hear. You know, they don't mind you preaching about sin or somebody else's sin, but it's a whole different ball game whenever you start talking about their particular sin. Well, Jeremiah didn't care who the guilty party was. He's just covering all of the bases and telling it like it is, and he's naming the sins that he sees. He's revealing to them this is what the problem is. But notice there's a key verse in verse number 3, a statement here, that shows that the record of their sins was growing. It says they proceed from evil to evil. That sounds like what the Apostle Paul said, you know, over in Second Timothy. He said, where evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. In other words, they sink lower and lower into the cesspool of sin. Things get worse and worse, and it's like a runaway train. It's like the snowball effect. You see, the sins that Paul refers to in Second Timothy chapter number 3, those same sins have always existed. He doesn't mention one thing that is new. All of those sins have always been here ever since Cain slew Abel. They've always existed, but it's getting worse and worse all of the time. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. And Jeremiah points out the problem. Not only did he point out the problem, but he pronounced judgment upon the people, especially beginning in verse number 7. And we're not going to read all of this, but, but I'll tell you, he makes it clear that judgment is coming upon the people. And look at verse 25. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all of them... Uh, all of them which are uh, circumcised with the uncircumcised. In other words, I'm going to treat the Jews just like I treat the Gentiles. I'm going to bring judgment upon my people just as I bring judgment upon the world. And so again and again throughout this chapter, he warns them that a day of judgment is coming. And not, let me tell you, we need more of that today. We need to understand that we are accountable to God, that others might excuse it. We might even make laws promoting it. We might ignore it. But God is taking note of our sinfulness, and there's going to be a judgment day. This is what Jeremiah is trying to get across to them, that the problem is sin, and the fact of the matter is judgment is coming as a result of it. But then in verse 4, he provides them with some counsel. You know, it's one thing for a preacher to get up and just say, here's what the problem is, and I don't like it. And, you know, we can scream and yell and denounce the sins of the day, and we can just leave it there. But instead of doing that and stopping there, 
Notice he gives them counsel, and it, it, it seems a bit strange whenever we read this. Notice he said, Take heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother. In other words, beware of your neighbors. Do not put your trust in your brothers. In other words, you cannot depend upon your family or your friends. You cannot trust them. And I say that as a key statement because we are all influenced by other people. We really are. You know, there's so many times churches will stand against a particular sin for years, and all of a sudden, over time, that sin becomes popular within the congregation, and so more and more, and finally, finally there is a majority of the people that believes that particular sin is not even really a sin. I've often said, you know, whenever we think about different things that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago that we stood against so staunchly and what have you, let me tell you, if we preachers who were preaching those truths back then, if we were wrong, we sure do owe an apology to the people living today. The fact of the matter is I don't believe we were wrong in what we preached back then. I think we just got frightened by the fact that now the majority is against us instead of for us, and so we've just gone silent on those issues. It's a whole lot easier whenever you know that you know, that people are going to like what you preach. Uh, you hear preachers say, I don't care what you think. They're lying. They're lying. They really do. They care. But whenever other people in the majority start in a, in, in a new direction, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself following them. By the way, this is only one of many, many verses in the Bible I could stand here for the next ten minutes reading various verses of the Bible where the Lord says, Trust ye not in man. Put your trust not in princes. In other words, those in high places, those that have authority. Do not trust man. That's what Jeremiah is doing here. He's warning them about putting their trust in other people. And we need that warning today because a lot of people think they've got it all figured out when it comes to religion. They're convinced that they're right because after all, Grandpa believed that. Grandma taught me that. She couldn't be wrong. It has to be right. That's what they believed. And we let others influence us. So Jeremiah does not stop with just condemning their sin and warning them of judgment. He offers them this counsel, and he's doing so because all of this relates to what? To the matter of deception. You cannot trust others because they will deceive you. Either intentionally or unintentionally, you cannot put your trust in them. Now, at long last, he gets down to the point that he proclaims the solution. Look at verse 23. Thus saith the Lord. And let me say, you can trust him. Thus saith the Lord. Don't trust your neighbor. Don't trust any brother. But he says, thus saith the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might, and let not the rich man glory in his riches, 
But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. The source of their problem was the same as ours, and that was sin. And it was because of the fact that they had been deceived. Look in back at what he says in verse 3. This gets down to the very heart of the issue. He says, they know not me, saith the Lord. They, they don't know me. That's why they behave as they do, because they believe what they believe. And the Lord says, they do not know me. That's the very source of the problem. You see, we keep looking at the sin, and we say that sin, you know, is the source of the problem, and really it's not. That's the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is the fact that we do not know the Lord. So he points out what the source is, and then he talks about the solution, and the solution is what? That is to know God. I can't even begin to tell you how important these verses are because we have a lot of folks today that do not understand the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You know, and they, since they've been a little kid, they've been in Sunday school. And they've studied the Bible. You know, they've been in, you know, the Christmas plays and the Easter plays. And, you know, they know Jesus was born of a virgin. They believe with all of their heart, you know, he died on the cross and he arose from the grave. I, I mean, I know he did because we depicted that during the Easter cantata. I mean, you know, we all know that happened. And so they grow up knowing all of these facts. But there's a big difference between knowing about the Lord and actually knowing the Lord. Now, it's interesting to study about God, is it not? I mean, it's so interesting to think about all the different attributes of God. And think about his power and his wisdom and all of, all of the different things that could be mentioned. We could spend our lives studying God. We could become theologians, as it were, studying about God. And that would be amazing. That would be interesting. And by the way, it's not only interesting, that is important because before you ever become a child of God, there are certain things you've got to know about God. So I'm, you know, I'm not against knowledge. There's some things that we must know. We're not going to be saved by our sincerity. We're not going to be saved by just acknowledging, giving our assent, you know, to certain historical facts. Because although that's interesting and important, it is also insufficient. It's not enough. Because God is more than a subject to be destroyed. He is a person to be admired. He is a king to be obeyed. And we need a relationship with Him. Knowing God is the only solution, and knowing Him is possible in only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Notice he said, uh, regardless of who you are, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. In other words, there's only one thing in this world really worth bragging about, and that's the fact that we're a child of God. Amen? Amen. Now let me ask you some questions. Number one, do you know that you know Him? Do you know that you know Him? And somebody comes along and says, well, I I know about Him. They've studied, you know, all of the facts about God that they can get their hands on. They know about God, but they don't have a relationship with Him. And maybe they're thinking to themselves, well, I'm not sure anybody can really know that they know Him. But but the Bible says in 1 John 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. Amen. Amen. So you can know. And if you don't know, something's really wrong. Do you know that you know Him? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know Him as your Lord and Savior? And if you don't, the problem of sin in your life will never be solved. Heaven will never be secure. Peace will never be possible. And forgiveness, you can forget about that. Because you have to have a relationship with Him. Secondly, secondly, maybe you're here and you said, yes, I know Him. Yes, I have a relationship with Him. Is there any evidence that you know Him? Think about it. There are a lot of people that would profess to know God. They do profess that they know God. You can go to people in every denomination and in the non-denominations and wherever you go, there are people who tell you, oh yeah, I know, I know God. I have a relationship with God. And they don't. The Bible talks about those that profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. And there are a lot of folks just like that today. No evidence whatsoever. Have you ever considered the cost of not knowing Him? You think about leaving here today without knowing God, which is the most important thing in all of life. You know, you might be a person that is worldly wise, but if you do, that will be the dumbest thing that you've ever done. You might be a mighty man here upon this earth, but when you leave here without Christ, your sin debt will be unpaid. You might be among the richest people on the face of the earth, but you'll still have that indebtedness with God. You might live in a mansion, but you won't have a home in heaven. It might be that you're in good health, but you're sin sick. It might be that you're popular and you've got lots of friends, but there won't be any friends in hell. It might be that you have a retirement plan that is out of this world, and someday you're going to get away from it all, and you're just going to live out the last days of your life in peace and in comfort. But then you'll suffer for all of eternity. 
And that raises the next question, does that make any sense whatsoever? Well, it doesn't. To base all of your hopes and all of your dreams upon the things that this world offers and to never have a saving relationship with the God that created you makes no sense. Why why would you do that? And, And what if this is your very last chance today? What if there's never another opportunity? Deputy Goforth the other day was standing there filling up his his cruiser with gas when when that car shot him in the back. No doubt he had no thought in his mind whatsoever that that might happen. And whenever we leave here today, whether we're saved or whether we're lost, not one of us have any assurance that we'll be able to be back in the service tonight. And if you're here and you've never been saved, you have absolutely no assurance that you'll ever have another opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I got a text uh, from Kenneth, uh, I guess it was last night, the young people who got back from their retreat, and he told me uh, about Caleb Anderson, one of our young men here, had led another young man to a saving knowledge of Christ during that retreat. How wonderful it is to know that as a result of that, that some young person come to know Christ as their Savior. How wonderful it would be this morning if someone came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. You see, this is not just the, this is not just the solution for the problems to our nation. This is the solution to your problem of sin. So I've got four quick, simple questions. Four things I want to mention. Number one, know what you don't know. Know what you don't know. You know, pretending that you've got it all figured out and that you've got all of the right answer is a fool's game. If you don't know it, admit it. And there's so many times people want to just go on pretending that they know the facts and pretending they have a relationship that they don't have. And one of the most difficult things about Helping people come to Christ is helping them to unlearn what they've been taught. Because there's so many times they're convinced that, well, you know, Grandpa always said to get to heaven you've got to wash away your sins by being baptized. And Grandpa couldn't be wrong. Boy, he knew the Bible inside and out. He could quote the whole Bible. Let me tell you, Grandpa was wrong. And if Grandpa was trusting in his baptism, Grandpa's in hell. Just like you're going to be if you follow what Grandpa said. Someone mentioned earlier about, you know, the Pope had just uh, evidently issued his decree that now the priest can forgive sin. What a sad thing it is to think about so many millions of people so blindly devoted to someone that is absolutely wrong. How horrible that is. 
You know, so many times we look at the Muslims and we despise what they stand for. We despise what they do. We just can't imagine someone being so awful as that. Let me tell you, they do not present the danger to us that that any religion that's teaching something other than the gospel, they are a greater danger to humanity than the Muslims or anything else. And whether they're called Catholics or Church of Christ or whatever, it makes no difference. Even if they're called Baptist, it makes no difference. If they're wrong, they're wrong. Because there's only one way to heaven. And listen, in order to, in order for you to understand and to have a relationship with Christ, you've got to know what you don't know. You have to be willing to admit that. And then you have to know what you need to know. Because you can't become a child of God just because you want to be. You know, you go down here in the school and take these little first, second, third graders and ask them, would you like to go to heaven when you die? Well, in the first place, they don't want to die. But sure, everybody wants to go to heaven. And you leave the impression, you know, you're getting up a load, bus load to go right now. Yeah, I'll go. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But there are certain things a person has to know in order to become a child of God. You've got to know who Jesus is. You've got to know what Jesus did. You've got to know why Jesus did what He did. You've got to know certain things. But, but it, listen, it doesn't end there. Not only do you have to know certain facts... You've got to be willing to trust God in order to be saved. And that's the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God as your Father, as your Savior. Then thirdly, you need to show what you know. If we're going to expect other people to believe that we're really the children of God, we've got to show it. Because what we do is so much more important than what we say. And people are going to judge us as a result of what they see in us. And we can be ever so right in our theology and yet be wrong in our living. And we can make the glorious gospel something repulsive to an unsaved world. I don't want to go there, and I'm not going to get off on this issue right now. But it is a sad thing when, some of you will get this message, when the gay community has to point out the sins of people standing against the gay community and quote Scripture in doing so. It's real easy for us to get on our high horse and condemn them when we are guilty of violating the standards of the same righteous God. And I'm telling you, if we expect to ever reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we better live what we proclaim. We better walk the talk. 
That was a part of the problem in Jeremiah's day. Even the priests and the leaders were going along, as it were, with the people. And then we need to share what we know. When you think about being a believer in Christ, and I can remember preaching a sermon entitled, The Benefits of the Believer. Have you ever just stopped and took a pencil and a piece of paper and made a list of all of the benefits of being a Christian? Wow, it's a whole lot more than just getting out of hell. It's a whole lot more than just getting into heaven. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passeth all understanding. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. All of the benefits. And then, even after you've named everything you can think of, you have to say the half has not yet been told because we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's more beyond that we never even imagined. Those are the benefits we have as a believer. Is it not a terrible thought to think about the fact that even when God has blessed us so greatly that others will never experience what we know to be so wonderful? Let me remind you of something that God said to Abraham many years ago. He said, I have blessed you to make you a blessing. And those of us that have been so mightily blessed to the Lord, we need to be a blessing to those that do not know the Lord. The best way to do that is to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if they never hear this message, they'll never know our Savior. And their blood will be on our hands. God forbid, God forbid, let those of us who know the Lord help others come to know Him by living out every day of our life the standards that He has set forth in His Word and proclaiming every chance we get the good news that Jesus died in our stead. And if you're here and you've never trusted Him, would you do so this morning? You're here and you already know about God. You know about Jesus. You're even a good singer and you could sing a lot of songs about Him. You know enough that you can quote Scripture, write a poem about the Lord, but you do not have a personal relationship with Him. And this morning, all of that could change right here, right now. And the deepest need of your life can be met by simple childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness. How we thank you for the, the Word of God that doesn't just condemn our sins, doesn't just reveal the error of our ways, but shows us the way out of the jungle of sin, that shows us a way out of the condemnation that we face. And Lord, I just pray today for that man or woman or some boy or girl that's here and they've 
They have absolutely zero assurance that they would go to heaven if they died today. And Lord, there are others here today that they are totally convinced that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. They're convinced of that, but but they're wrong. They'll be among that number of those to whom you say, Depart from me, I never knew you. So help them today to see the truth of your word and the need of their life and to trust your Son as their their Savior. And may every Christian here today resolve in their heart to flesh out, to live out, to put into practice the principles of Your Word that we might demonstrate to others, the reality of Christianity, that we can impact our culture, that we can be a bright and a shining light in a sin-darkened world, that we can be the very salt of the earth that would preserve others from judgment. Help us, because we could and would never do it on our own. May you enable them today. In 